Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our celebration of the music of that greatest of all Russian masters, Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, began with one of his most famous pieces. It's the March Slav, a rather early work of Tchaikovsky's. It was written in 1876. Just to put Tchaikovsky in perspective, given that this is an all-Tchaikovsky program, Tchaikovsky, as you probably remember, was born in 1840 and died in 1893. So this is from a fairly early period in Tchaikovsky's life when he was about 36 years old. It was at a time when there was great unrest, ethnic unrest, between the uh, southern Christian countries in the, the Russian region of Serbia and Montenegro and the Turks. It seems that there had been a terrible Turkish slaughter of Christians, and Serbia and Montenegro had declared war on the Turks. Serbia, as you know, of course, was a, a big declarer of war and kind of an epicenter of all sorts of terrifying wars from uh, the Middle Ages and before all the way to the First World War. Anyway, the Russians, being fellow Slavic people of the Serbians, felt a great kinship to them and wanted to raise money and send support and eventually actually entered the war. But at this time, they had not yet entered the war, and yet they had a number of great big fundraising events, including major concerts. And for one of these concerts, Tchaikovsky was asked to write a piece in honor of the Serbian cause. And even though he usually hated to do this kind of thing, he uh, was actually very nationalistic about this and, and very proud of the Slavic people. And fashion a a really impressive little piece, the March Slav, or the Slavic March, Opus 31, uh, and he actually used for it a group of actual Serbian folk songs that he found in a collection, and uh, so it's uh, got a wonderfully sort of Eastern, almost Oriental feeling to it, and it is an incredibly masterful piece. It includes, as do many of these kinds of works from Russia, uh, including the 1812 Overture, in fact, a brief quote of the Russian national anthem, as well as these Serbian songs. So here now to open our program... Tchaikovsky's March Slav. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Tchaikovsky's March Slav from 1876. It was played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. Next on our program, this being an all-Tchaikovsky program, I wanted to offer something that was maybe a little bit less well-known, because, of course, while Tchaikovsky has some of the most famous hits of all world music history. At the same time, there are a number of less well-known pieces that are also extremely beautiful, some of which were very well-known in Tchaikovsky's own time and have sort of fallen on harder times, just are not played as often today. One of these pieces, and one of my absolute favorite little-known Tchaikovsky pieces, is Tchaikovsky's third orchestral suite. Tchaikovsky wrote four orchestral suites during his career, and these suites are somewhere between symphonies 
and ballet music. In fact, whenever Tchaikovsky didn't feel quite like writing a symphony, he would turn to the suite form. It was a much freer form. All of his suites are in multiple movements, but uh, each movement is a little freer in character. In fact, when Tchaikovsky sat down to write the third suite, which actually became his most famous piece during his own lifetime. It was the piece that he played the most and that was played the most during his life. He actually toured Europe, and even when he came to America in 1892, the third suite was one of the featured works on the program. This was his favorite piece to play, and audiences just loved it. But when he sat down to write the piece, he wrote to his patroness, Madame von Meck, that he really felt just a little too fragile at that moment to write a full symphony, and that it would take too much out of him. So he'd much rather write a suite. When it came to writing symphonies, uh, as you'll hear in this final symphony, which closes our program, the Sixth Symphony, Tchaikovsky poured all of his deepest feelings and deepest emotions into his works and found them very draining. But even more so, he also felt uh, sort of the weight of history on his back every time he sat down to write a symphony, thinking of the great symphonists of earlier periods, particularly Beethoven, and feeling that he had to work in the accepted form, sonata form for the first movement, rondo form for the finale, etc. So he, he often would uh, prefer to write in freer forms, And this suite form, which of course existed all the way through from Baroque times to the present, really was a much freer form. One could just pour fantasy into the movements and actually sculpt beautiful movements in free form that were very much closer to ballet movements. Of course, as you remember, ballet is an area in which Tchaikovsky was the undisputed master, perhaps of all times. And so he loved writing these little character pieces. Anyway, the third suite is uh, by far the most successful of them, and particularly because of the last movement. The last movement of the, of the third suite is a set of theme and variations. It's a 12 variations, and the piece itself, just this final movement, is about 20 minutes in length. It's actually longer than the other three movements of the suite put together. And it's often played as a standalone piece. In fact, in Tchaikovsky's own time, he would very often excerpt movements from the suites and only play one or two or three of the movements instead of the complete four. But I encourage you to go out and hear the entire piece. The first three movements are equally wonderful and quite beautiful. Uh, but for this program, we played only the theme and variations, the finale of Tchaikovsky's Suite Number 3. This is a work from 1884, about the same time that Tchaikovsky was writing his Manfred Symphony, so he was already a mature, developed composer. The 12 variations are startling for their variety and also for their incredible beauty uh, and the fantasy that's involved in them. This is actually one of my absolute favorite pieces, and I was so excited to be able to put it on this program. The final variation is actually a Polish dance, a a big, uh, beautiful polonaise in the Polish style that goes on quite a bit. But what's so remarkable about the piece is the beautiful variety of each of the different variations. So here now, a little-known piece, once one of Tchaikovsky's most famous pieces, the theme and variations, the final movement of his suite number three. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the theme and variations from Tchaikovsky's Suite Number no. 3, played by the Albany Symphony, connected by me, David Allen Miller. The last piece on the first half of our program is, in fact, one of another of my very favorite Tchaikovsky pieces, and interestingly, also a set of theme and variations. Tchaikovsky only wrote four pieces that had theme and variation form in them. There was a set of piano pieces as well as the piano trio and then these two works on the program. The Rococo variations are from an earlier period, from 1877, and they were written for a a friend and colleague of Tchaikovsky's who worked with him at the Moscow Conservatory, a, a very celebrated cellist named Wilhelm Fitzhagen. And Fitzhagen, of course, being German, was a very formidable virtuoso and also a very strong-willed gentleman. 
So Tchaikovsky wrote this piece for Fitzhagen, and then Fitzhagen took it, and, and actually Fitzhagen contributed a great deal of input in terms of advising about the cello part and, in essence, reworking the cello part. But after Tchaikovsky finished the work, he gave it over to Fitzhagen, who then premiered it somewhere else with Tchaikovsky not present. And much to Tchaikovsky's surprise, it turns out that Fitzhagen had massively restructured the piece. Not only did he really adapt and change the cello part, to be at least 50% Fitzhagen and only 50% Tchaikovsky, but even went so far as reordering the variations and dropping one variation. There was one variation in the middle that he moved to the end because he thought it was flashy and exciting, and he really completely reworked the piece. It was only later when Tchaikovsky got the Fitzhagen version from his publisher when it was about to be published that Tchaikovsky realized the extent to which Fitzhagen had had his way with his work, and Tchaikovsky was rather upset and slammed his hand on the table by all reports and said, the devil take it, and then he said, but... It stands as it is. I think what he realized was that maybe the piece was actually much more successful in the form that Fitzhagen had fashioned than in his own form, and and it has stayed that way to the present day. It was only recently, in this century, that the original version was dug up and reconstructed in Russia, but I must say it's almost never heard and almost never played, and the work is a much-loved piece. It was certainly acclaimed a masterpiece from the very time it was premiered by Fitzhagen. In fact, Franz Liszt just gushed about how it sounded like real music. It's very much influenced by Tchaikovsky's love for his absolute favorite composer, Mozart. And uh, while it doesn't sound entirely like Mozart, it certainly pays homage to that earlier era, that pure, beautiful music era that Tchaikovsky so loved. It's one of his gentlest and most serene pieces. Here it is now, the Rococo Variations from 1877. Our soloist is the young American cellist Joshua Roman. Joshua, 26 years old, was already the principal cellist of the Seattle Symphony for two seasons and is an amazing artist. We're so happy to have welcomed him for his debut with the Albany Symphony. He's a young musician who's definitely going places, is touring the world as a soloist and as a chamber musician. Interestingly, he grew up in Oklahoma City, the son of two amateur musicians, and for the first 10 years of his life, he studied cello with the concertmaster of the Oklahoma Symphony, a violinist. In fact, he told me as we were preparing the program that when they started, they had to actually look in the front of the Suzuki cello book to check to make sure that the hand positions that he was using were correct. And yet I think that this 10 years of work with a violinist somehow made him a very special artist. He he plays in an absolutely effortless fashion and uh, very virtuosic, but uh, in a very violinistic way, if I dare say. So here again, uh, Joshua Roman as the cello soloist in Tchaikovsky's Rococo Variations from 1877. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. That was Joshua Roman playing Tchaikovsky's Variations on a Rococo theme. The orchestra was the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. For the second half of our program, we turned to one of Tchaikovsky's most monumental works, and as far as I'm concerned, perhaps his undisputed masterpiece. There's a great deal of mystery and also tragedy surrounding this sixth symphony, the so-called Pathétique, because, of course, it was premiered only a couple of weeks before Tchaikovsky's untimely death at the age of 53. And, of course, the accepted story is that Tchaikovsky drank a glass of unboiled water during a cholera epidemic and contracted the disease and died. But there has been a great deal of mystery surrounding his death. 
We know that he was very depressed and felt very much like an old man, although by today's standards, 53 is hardly old, and really um, felt that maybe his life had run its course. As to what the actual cause of his death is, that remains mired in the mystery of time. And yet I think it's pretty clear that while this piece may have come from a time of great depression and soul-searching, I don't think it's a sort of Tchaikovsky foretelling his own death, although it's much thought of in the, on those terms. In fact, Tchaikovsky conducted the premiere, and it was not uh, wildly enthusiastically accepted. It was only two weeks later after his death that the piece was encored, and then all of a sudden the uh, suggestions of it ha- having to do so much with life and death made it much more an acclaimed work uh, in retrospect. It has certainly held the stage since then. The work in four movements is, I think, in essence, a sort of an exploration of life and death. Uh, the first movement is a very big bold and multifaceted movement with great tumult and terror actually in the middle of it. It begins in the deepest reaches of the orchestra with just double basses and the bassoon climbing out of the mire and muck of nothingness. And it actually recedes at the end back into nothingness. And yet it seems to be so much about the slings and arrows that one encounters in life. In addition, the second theme is one of the most beautiful balletic movements in all of Tchaikovsky's oeuvre. And that's saying a lot since so many of Tchaikovsky's themes are so beautiful. It sounds like it comes from the world of ballet, and perhaps it is something about love or the beauty of life. Anyway, it's an extremely poignant and quite a contrasting theme to the much more tumultuous first group of themes. The second movement is a very uncharacteristic waltz in that it's a waltz in 5-4 time. Waltzes tend, of course, to be in 3 one two. Three, one, two, three. Somehow Tchaikovsky created this beautifully off kilter waltz. All the way through the pieces in five, a very unusual key at any time, particularly in the late 19th century. Can't think of another movement in five in the entire period. And yet he makes it seem more of a lilting movement than a jagged movement. It's an extremely uh, aristocratic sounding movement and something perhaps about the the beauty uh, and the grandeur and the elegance of life in the world. The third movement in place of a scherzo, is instead an absolutely incredible march, a march that begins with the strings divided, playing these kind of little, almost little flits of energy. And over it, uh, the oboe introduces this amazing march tune, which seems a little um, light in character. And yet as the movement goes, this march idea, it's sort of a monothematic uh, movement in that the entire movement is concerned with this this march theme, this march idea. It grows and grows in substance until it becomes the most overpowering and sort of all-encompassing life force march. Uh, and invariably, as you know, when the third movement of the symphony ends, everyone forgets that that's not the end of the entire symphony, and the audience invariably bursts into applause. After performances, uh, audience members often apologize to me, and I always say, well, well it, it made the right effect. If you hadn't applauded, I would have felt like we'd done something terribly wrong. The piece is so filled with life and positive energy that it just causes people to want to stand up and cheer. But, of course, they can't leave the hall yet because the final movement is yet to occur. And the final movement, again, is completely unlike any final movement in a symphony that had ever been written before. It's, in fact, an andante lamentoso, a lamenting andante. Not the slowest tempo, not an adagio, even though it's often taken, I think, much too slowly by conductors trying to wring every bit of pathos from it. It's an andante, and yet it's all about taking leave of the world. I mean, it's basically the most visual 
image-rich, purely musical representation of death and dying and saying farewell to the world. It's tragic in the, the most beautiful sense in that it's, it's extremely poignant and loving and life-affirming and, and, and just gorgeous. It's, not, it's sad, but not, uh, not tragic in a, a, in a chest-thumping fashion. It begins with an incredibly interesting uh, orchestral technique, which may be a little hard to hear on the radio, but I always divide the violins left and right. So the first are on one side, the seconds are on another, which is in fact the standard seating that orchestras had up until about the year 1900. It was only after about 1910 when recording began to become popular that conductors started putting all the violins on one side. But before that time, the violins had always been spread across both sides of the stage, uh, an antiphonal effect, sort of like having a stereophonic effect built in. And all the great composers certainly Beethoven, Mozart, Dvorak, and Tchaikovsky uh, wrote for orchestra in this way. And Tchaikovsky, interestingly, has this descending scale, which to him represents death, that begins the movement. But interestingly, he gives each note of the descending scale to the first or the second. So you get da from your left, right and left. It keeps alternating back and forth, making this incredible, strange uh, effect from the orchestra. Very interesting to hear live. I'm not sure it's quite as audible on a recording. Anyway, the piece also has, again, one of the most beautiful of all second themes. And it builds to a great climax. I always think it's sort of it is this taking leave of the world and not wanting to and expressing one's love for the world, one's desperate, passionate love for the world. And yet as the piece goes, it subsides and subsides until finally at the very end of the movement, you only hear the cellos and the basses as they descend and as the, the theme sort of disintegrates into nothingness. And the piece ends with the most beautiful silence. So here is Tchaikovsky's final symphony, the so-called Pathetique Symphony, a piece that was suggested to Tchaikovsky by his brother Modeste shortly after the premiere. Pathetique meaning filled with pathos, not pathetic, but filled with pathos. It's Tchaikovsky's sixth symphony, his final orchestral work from 1893, the year of his death. It's played by the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion.